I know some of you are sitting there this morning and you're saying, wait a minute, we just voted last Sunday for him to retire. <laughs> we just can't seem to get rid of this guy. Well, this, the timing of the Lord's providences are interesting. And uh, I'm thankful to be in the pulpit, thankful to be able to preach the word of the Lord to you this morning, thankful to have the privilege of preaching the first sermon in this season of Lent. So may the Lord bless us as we look at his word. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I want to read the first chapter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we are thankful and humbled to come before the word this morning. We pray that you would speak to our hearts as we just sang and that you would use the word to do all of those things which this means of grace does in the lives of your people. And Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I apologize in advance to the cameramen uh, I wander, uh, but just, yeah, you know. <laughs> 49 years ago, this past week, 49 years ago, Susan and I were sitting in a coliseum with thousands of other people watching Holiday on Ice. Susan has always loved ice skating, 
It's elegance, it's precision, all of those kinds of things. So uh, it was Valentine's Day, and this was our special time together. What she didn't know was something else was coming. And so we watched and we enjoyed ourselves, and just before the intermission, I grabbed her left hand and I slipped a ring on her finger. Now, before you all go, aw, you need to understand that we've done this many times because back in the day, Cracker Jacks came in boxes, okay? And in those boxes were little prizes. Sometimes they were rings. And so I had sort of made this funny habit of slipping a ring on her finger, a Cracker Jacks ring. And so when I did it at this point, she just assumed it was another Cracker Jacks ring. It was one of the few times in our life together I was ever able to surprise her because when she looked down, her eyes got so big and she looked at that ring and she looked at me and then the intermission came. And she stood up in front of thousands of people and began going like this. And the whole crowd broke into applause. <laughs> it was a great moment. It was a wonderful moment. I pulled it off and the whole time I'm going, yes. <laughs> because I assumed that she said yes. <laughs> well, this is an illustration of something that, that I want you to see from this section of scripture. There's, there's tons of sermons in this passage. And, and, you know, we could preach about all kinds of things and study all kinds of things. I just want you to see this morning three things. I want you to see what the gospel has done to the Thessalonians. And so I have three points. They're in your bulletin. The first point is that God sends the gospel to them. Secondly, that the gospel changed them. And then thirdly, that the gospel rang out from them. I'll talk about that pun when we get to point three. All right. First of all, God sends the gospel to them. You know, we talk loosely about coming to Christ, coming to faith. I made a decision, those kinds of things. But I want you to notice here in this passage that Paul says very clearly, the gospel came to you. It came to you. You didn't come to it. It came to them in the person of Paul and Silas. Now, we're beginning a missions awareness week, and so this is going to be a missions sermon. You, you just got to assume that. But I think theologically, this is fascinating, that the gospel comes to them. The gospel is under God's control. He sends it where he wants it to go. Now, that may, that may be in the sense of missionaries who are being sent out around the world, 
Many times, that's in the sense of you faithfully sharing the gospel, whether it's with your family, with your friends, wherever you find yourself sharing that gospel. It's under God's control, and he sends it in the person of the messenger. But I want to put, just push pause for a minute here, and I want to talk about the gospel. Because this is one of those terms that we, we all know what it means, we think. <laughs> but I just want to talk about the gospel a minute and show us the wonder of what God has done. It's amazing what he has done. You see, Jesus came to save sinners. He didn't come to save people who deserved it. He didn't come to save people who just needed a little upgrade. He came to save sinners just like you and like me. And what does that mean? Well, Paul says in 1 Timothy, he says, he came to save sinners. This is something we ought to believe. This is something we ought to share. It's a true word, and he came to save sinners like me because I'm the first in line. Paul says this. I'm number one. But let's think about this for a minute. Your sin, that argument you had with your wife or your husband on the way to church this morning, uh, the thoughts that are going through your head right now that you're trying to get out so you can hear the sermon, the attitudes that you've got toward your parents or toward your friends or toward whomever. Your sin is what qualifies you for the gospel. Wow. See, we tend to think of it otherwise. We tend to think that my, my sin pushes God away from me. But in point of fact, your sin is what draws Christ to you. He's drawn to sinners. Have you ever noticed that as you read the Gospels? Where does Jesus go? He's always going to the sinners. But somehow, in our minds, we have this thought that because of my sin... Jesus is going like this to me. But you see, he meets you in your sin. Your sin is what draws him. Because he came for people like you and like me. That is so counterintuitive to the way that we live our lives that the gospel right at that point begins to shift our perspectives of how things actually work in God's world. Jesus came to sinners. Now the plan of the gospel that God laid forth then was to take all of your sins, all of them, past and present and future sins, and to lay them on Christ. And he took those sins carried them to the cross, and nailed them to that cross, completely paying for all the guilt and all the shame of your sin. All of it. 
every last sin. You don't have to pay for any of them. By faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are completely removed from you. In fact, the scripture says that God has forgotten them. Don't ask me to explain that theologically. But that God has forgotten your sins. When you go to the Lord and you confess those sins and ask for them to be covered by the blood of the Jesus of Jesus, there is a sense in which God says, what sins? I don't see any sin. I see the righteousness of my son. Perfect, spotless righteousness. Right about now, some of you need to start smiling. (laughs) Because this is wonderful news. It's amazing that God has done this for us. And simply on the basis of faith. Because of faith in Jesus Christ, you are completely and unconditionally forgiven. God no longer looks at you with anger, or even with disappointment. Christ is your righteousness. Christ is your holiness. Christ is your sanctification and your redemption. And because of Christ's work, because God has loved you from all eternity, I have to throw that in because we're a Presbyterian church. Because of Christ's work, God is on your side. Did you hear me? God is on your side. And nothing in all of creation can change that. Romans chapter 8. Nothing. Not even your sin. Especially not your sin. (sighs) Hallelujah. What a salvation. Hallelujah. What a savior. I know. We're Presbyterians. And so we sit on our hands most of the time. But right about now, if I'm preaching in Ghana, right about now, people are standing up and holding their hands in the air and beginning to sing hallelujah to Jesus. We could learn something from our brethren. Sometimes we're just a little too cool. So, how does the gospel come? The gospel comes to us in the person of the one who speaks it. Now, we tend to focus on the outward appearance. Some of you are already saying, that guy is just wandering all over and is driving me crazy. Why can't he just stay in the pulpit? Well, this is what Africa has done to me, all right? So, uh, I pace when I teach and when I preach because it somehow activates my brain. Other people, our brother John, would stand in the pulpit and preach. That's just different pattern. 
In Ghana, if you're preaching, you have a towel in one hand and you might have a Bible in the other. That the, the Bible is optional, but the towel is not. Because if you're anointed, you've got to yell. And if you're anointed, you're wiping your brow because if you ain't sweating, you ain't preaching. But we focus on the outward and fail to notice what Paul is talking about here when he says, let me tell you what's going on behind the curtain. What went on when the gospel came to you in the person of Paul? I don't know if Paul paced when he preached. It's quite possible he was actually seated in a chair. But the outward appearance is not what matters. What matters is what's going on behind. You see what Paul says here? Our gospel did not come to you just in word. It was not just what was said or even how it was said. Because accompanying that word, that gospel, which Romans tells us is the power of God for salvation. Accompanying that is the power of God. Don't understand that. It's a mystery that God could take somebody like me and use the words that I speak and infuse them, if you will, with God's power. But he does that. That's why every time I preach, I'm terrified until I start preaching. <sighs> the power of God. What else is there? Do you see it? What else accompanies the, pre the preaching of the word? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work right now. Right now, he's working, using the word of God to convict, to teach, to encourage, to rebuke, to exhort. It's all going on right here. Every one of you will hear a different sermon because the Spirit will take it and apply it as you need to hear it. So it comes with power, it comes with the Holy Spirit, it comes with full conviction because this is what the preacher must have. This can't be tentative. This can't be something of, well, I have some interesting thoughts to share with you. It's full conviction. I believe this is the truth of God. And then what else it does is it comes in the manner and in the person of the preacher himself. Paul says, you see what kind of men we prove to be among you. It's fascinating, isn't it? That God takes his word, he takes the power of God, he takes the Holy Spirit, he takes conviction, he takes even the character of the preacher himself and weaves all of that together to bring his people to faith. Now, he could just reach down and do the work himself. But he chooses to use weak means, like preaching, to accomplish his purpose. And he weaves all of these together to do something. And what does he do? Well, that's point two. The gospel comes to us. It comes to us with the power of God. And because it does, it changes us. You see, this passage really is something of a brief biography of the church 
in Thessalonica. Paul says, we brought the gospel to you. Now, if you were to go to Acts chapter 17, what you would find is that Paul was in Thessalonica a grand total of three weeks. Three weeks. Reasoning in the synagogue, meeting with people, sharing the gospel, and then the riots in the street start, and they send him packing, and he eventually goes to Berea, and finally he goes to to Athens. Three weeks is all it took. It's an amazing thing to consider what's happened in this church because in just three weeks, the gospel changes them. It makes them noticeably different. The text says they became imitators of Jesus and became imitators of Paul. The word in Greek is the word we get mimic from or mime from. They, they began to pattern their lives, their actions, after what they saw Paul doing, after what Paul was teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me see if I can give you an example of how the gospel changes us. In our bulletins this morning is Agape Puppets, one of their country coordinators for Lebanon was a man named Mafud. Mafud is now in heaven. He, uh, he passed away because of the damage that COVID did to, to his lungs. But Mafud loved to share the gospel. And I love this story because Mafud is out working with some Syrian refugees at one point, and it's a hot day, and he takes his shirt off. And everybody stops and gawks at him because his, his body is full of scars. But Mafud loved to share the gospel and he saw an opportunity. And he says to these Syrian refugees, what would you do to somebody who did this to you? Pointing to his own scars. Well, they told him in graphic terms what they would do. They're Muslims. They've probably done those kinds of things to other people. And then he turned to them and he said, you did this to me. Because that happened during the Lebanese-Syrian war. He was injured, he was captured, he was tortured. He said, you did this to me. And now I serve you. Why? What could take the hatred of a man who was Muslim at one point and make him a servant of his fellow Muslims? It was the gospel. The gospel changed Mafud. The gospel changed the Thessalonians. And the gospel changes us. It's the same gospel. And it ought to change us in those same ways of making us imitators of Christ. Examples to those around us. You see, when we, when we really come to understand the gospel, it's, it's positively breathtaking. Think about this. The breadth of our forgiveness. All of our sins are gone. 
We are completely righteous in the sight of God. There is no condemnation. Our past is forgiven. We stand in grace today and we have an unbelievable future laid out in front of us. We are welcomed at any time to come into the presence of the triune God, the creator of the universe, and to ask our daddy for help. And that same God is committed to complete the work he has begun in us. Wow. So what's the evidence that we're beginning to understand what the gospel really means? Well, we see it right here. We see that the gospel rings out from us. The Thessalonians received the gospel. It began to change them, and almost immediately it rings out. It's, it's an unusual verb. It's, this is the only place it's used in the New Testament. For those of you who really care, it's a hapax legomena. All right, not used anywhere else in the New Testament. But it's the idea that the verb is used for the idea of a bell ringing, a trumpet sounding, thunder rumbling. It's not just a squeak. It is a shaking proclamation. And the gospel rang out from them just like it rang out from Susan, right? <laughs> she wasn't shy at all. She was so excited about this news. It was news she hadn't expected. It was news that over the last 49, almost 50 years has changed her life. It's changed mine too. Thank God. She was not at all shy about standing up and saying, look at what happened to me. All right. The gospel rings out from them. And they begin to proclaim, and it goes everywhere. This is missions. This is missions. You see, if we understand the gospel, missions doesn't have to be something that feels like pressure. I always, I always hated missions conferences. Can I say this? I always hated missions conferences when I was a kid because I felt like I was always being pressured, you know? I'm sitting there, and the, the guy in the pulpit would say, you need to become a missionary. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be a missionary. I don't want to do that. I just want to read books. But if we really understand the gospel, if we understand what God has done for us and is doing for us, it changes our perspective. You see, the motivation for missions is not guilt. You got to do this. It's not panic because somehow somebody won't be saved because you didn't share the gospel with them. That, we know that's not true. All right? It's not even duty. This is what you are 
supposed to do as a Christian. The motive for missions is the nature of the gospel of grace itself. It's joy in the Holy Spirit. It's an understanding that God has done this for me, and I know who I am. I am a sinner, but he'll do that for you too, because I know you're sinners. Can I share? I'd love to share what God has done for me through Christ. It's it's a whole different perspective. And the reality is, I'm not going to call you to missions because God's already done that. When he sent the gospel to you, however that happened, in the person of whatever preacher proclaimed the gospel to you, that gospel is at work right now in your life changing you. And as you begin to think about what the gospel is, it will begin inevitably to ring out from you. It has to. You can't keep good news quiet. You just have to share it. Now, we'll all share it differently. Not everybody is going to stand in a pulpit. Honestly, never thought I would for most of my life. But God has a very interesting sense of humor. But it will ring out, teaching our children and our grandchildren, speaking to our neighbors, whatever, whatever opportunity God gives us. Now, those are my three points. Let me just talk in closing with my final idea, so what? All right, so the gospel came to them, it changed them, it rang out for them, so what? Interesting sermon, thank you, it's time to go. Not quite, I've got a few more minutes yet. Um, So what? Well, first of all, let me encourage you to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preach the gospel to yourself. The gospel I just talked about. Wake up in the morning and say, thank you, Lord Jesus. My sins are forgiven. All of them. I am righteous in your sight. As righteous as my Savior, Jesus Christ, is righteous. And you have set before me a future that is incomprehensible. I will be perfect, and I will live in a perfect world, and it's all because of Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And you preach that gospel to yourself. Why every day? Because you, just like me, you forget You forget these things. You get going in the pattern of day-to-day life and you don't stop and tell yourself, I'm not the same person I was before the gospel came. God has changed me. My priorities are different. 
My desires are different. God, through the gospel, has changed me. So number one, preach the gospel to yourself. Number two, this is how missions takes place. This is how all the families of the earth will be blessed in the seed of Abraham. It is through us who are Christ's children. We, we have the privilege of being involved in, in sharing the gospel, whether it's here or around the world. God has chosen to use us to fulfill prophecy. Now there's an interesting idea. His prophecy given all the way back in Genesis 12 is being fulfilled right now by us as we share the gospel. <laughs> so here's my question. Has the gospel come to you? For many years, I had sort of a performance idea of the gospel. I had this idea that, yes, Jesus saved me, but from this point on, it's up to me. And I've got to sort of keep God happy as I go along. And if I mess up, God doesn't like me very much. He loves me because that's his job, but he doesn't really like me. And I have to try to work myself back into God, liking me by praying and reading scripture and maybe fasting and behaving myself. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, we all have this tendency. But that's not the gospel. Be careful. Your works do not make you right with God at the beginning or anywhere along the line. The just shall live by faith. So we preach the gospel to ourselves daily. My righteousness is not what I'm doing. It's Christ. It's Christ. It's Christ. Has the gospel come in power to you? Is it changing you? Are you different now than you once were? Is it changing us? Is this the pattern of our corporate life as Christ's church? Because the text really doesn't address individuals. It's talking about the church as a whole, saying from this church, the gospel rung out. These are the questions that I think we need to be asking this week. And one final question. What would God have you to do? I told you I wouldn't call you to missions. That's God's job. But I think there's a point at which we all have to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? In my life, in my circumstances, where you've called me, what is your call on my life? Join me in prayer. Father, 
We're thankful that you have given us your word. We're thankful that the gospel has come to us, whether just this morning or perhaps many years ago. We pray that you would continue to change us and that you would give us opportunity by your grace for the gospel to ring out from our lives. We pray that you would do this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.